Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 388. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, I say almost those exact words, word for word, every single week, and I truly mean them. I really am glad you're listening to this podcast. But more importantly, I'm happy that you're taking action and achieving financial freedom in your own lives. So keep it up. Well, today's guest is Terry Painter. Terry is the author of the Encyclopedia of Commercial Real Estate Advice. He knows a thing or two about commercial real estate. He has been in the lending side of the business for quite some time now, having founded apartment loan store and business loan store, commercial mortgage banking and advisory firms that have closed over $4 billion of commercial loans since 1997. Today, we talk with Terry about how to invest in this hopefully post-COVID world, how you can get started investing in commercial real estate, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and jump right into this week's episode with Terry Painter. All right, today I'm excited to welcome on the show Terry Painter. Terry, you have done literally almost everything there is to do in commercial real estate investing, so I'm excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Terry, kind of tell us a little about who you are, what you do, your background in real estate, and how you've gotten to a point to literally write the encyclopedia on commercial real estate investing, literally. (laughs) Well, it's amazing because the thing about me is I love what I do. In fact, I can't wait for the weekend to usually be over so I could go back to work and work on more deals. I think I've invested in real estate most of my adult life. What to do with my job as a mortgage banker, commercial mortgage banker, is I get to work on so many deals. I mean, it's like I have a staff also, and I have people who analyze these deals. But ultimately, you have to, in this market, it's like just to analyze a deal correctly, because real estate brokers are actually selling properties based on pro forma, based upon their potential more than ever. Mm-hmm. So we, what my staff and I do is we actually evaluate properties based upon reality, based upon what are these properties doing today. So basically, so we do... Our sweet spot is actually loans over a million dollars. You know, we do all the major food groups and certainly multifamily is our favorite because my two companies, one is apartment loan store, and that's where we do loans on multifamily apartment building. Then we have business loan store where we do a commercial real estate loans on just about every other food group in real estate. Awesome. Well, Terry, when you're talking about commercial real estate, it can mean different things to different people. In the lending, banking world, commercial real estate means typically real estate over five units or real estate that's used for business purposes, right? Whereas maybe in the real estate world, if you hear commercial real estate, you might think something like a business or a storefront or maybe an industrial warehouse. So kind of talk about what it means in the lending world, if you will, to start. Certainly. Cool. If you go to your bank, your commercial loan officer, 
is going to actually do loans on businesses with and without real estate and also on commercial real estate, which is, as you defined, you know, commercial real estate is five units or more if it's residential in nature, or it has to be zone commercial, really. And so if it's zone commercial, it's commercial real estate. Like if you go to a dental office in its own building, that's commercial real estate. Right. And how we differentiate commercial real estate for the most part is whether it's investment real estate. In other words, there's a landlord involved and there's a tenant, or is it business owner-occupied commercial real estate? Yeah. Okay. So Terry, after doing 20 plus years of loans, you've seen it all. What are some things you see that really set aside commercial real estate from, let's say, residential real estate? I've had so many clients that actually started out when they were quite young with owning, let's say, one rental home, and maybe they fixed it up. Maybe they added another one. Before you know it, they have four to six rental properties. Most people buy them around where they live. And so now they're self-managing and they're like running around all the time trying to put out fires and deal with tenants and so on. And it's really expensive when you're talking about a minimum of 10% if you have your property managed for you. Now, what's really cool about commercial real estate, or if we're talking about multifamilies, now let's just say if you could graduate to a 12-plex, a tw- you know, 12 units under one roof. Well, now everything's happening under one roof, so to speak. And now you get the rewards of economy of scale, where you could afford better quality management, property management is going to be less expensive. And that roof is going to be shared by many, many tenants. You know, the Also, the risk is spread out because if one tenant moves out, you still have, you know, on a 12-plex, you still you have over 90% occupancy. Right. Yeah. So the other thing I just really want to stress for your audience is that it's really, it takes a long time to actually build wealth through single family rentals. It's not to say that you can't do it. It's just that what we have with commercial real estate is just, just everything is on a bigger scale. And just any investment property has five sources of income. What you have is income from operations, you know, uh, gross rents minus expenses annually. That's your income. And then you have rental increases. That's a second form of income. Okay. You also have appreciation. And that is actually the largest source of income. And it's large for a single family home investment as well, if you're renting that out or you're living in it. Okay. And then you have depreciation. So what's really cool, and that's the really big thing when you start, like many of my clients, they're making over six figures and they really need like a tax write-off. And so let's just say if you had a graduate to where you could buy one property that you pay a million dollars for, well, you have to subtract out the land because you can't depreciate that. Right. But then as far as depreciation goes, you're going to get about a $26,000 a year write-off on your personal income, any income that's on your 1040. And yet yet the properties, it's not really like falling to the ground because it's being depreciated. It's actually gaining value. So only in America can you have appreciation and depreciation going on at the same time. And then the last source of income is actually doing a 1031 exchange, which is actually buying another property, taking your equity out to your current property, investing that into a larger property, which is going to have more income, more depreciation, or better than that, you could do a cash out refinance and have the best of all worlds, have your cake and eat it too, because you're going to be able to keep your existing property after four or five years, it's going to go up in value enough to where you could take some cash out and buy another property with it and grow your wealth that way. So we have five sources of income. It's just, it happens on a larger scale with commercial multifamily property. That's been my MO over the years, Terry, is to do the cash out refinance and keep that equity moving to the next property and the next property. Now, there's a certain uh, thing 
maybe a camp of mind that, you know, is maybe a little bit more debt and risk adverse. But when you hear that coming from a mortgage banker, it's definitely something to take note of when you yourself are saying, yeah, this is a way that you can make money is to continue to deploy and reharvest your equity. Yes, absolutely. And since around the 1860s, continually through we average a recession every six years, roughly in America, the property values have always rebounded and have gone up again. So you're going to actually make more, my clients and myself, we make more money from appreciation really over time than we do just from operations, you know, the income uh, from rents. Sure. Now, maybe Terry, a very common path out there to get started investing in real estate is to start small, maybe buy a single family house. And then if you're drawn to this idea of economies of scale, you buy a duplex or a triplex and then kind of scale up there and maybe buy an eight unit or that 12 unit you talked about and so on and so on. Some people might think that, you know, the world of commercial real estate investing is prohibitively challenging, not for them. They wouldn't qualify or they might have a number of other limiting beliefs. But there's some economy of scale, like you mentioned. Everything's under one roof, one insurance policy, so on and so on, right? What other advantages do you see of scaling up to commercial real estate? Well, first of all, which you'll find the different the main difference between investors who own commercial real estate and residential investment property is that they really take it more seriously as a business. And what they're looking at are, number one, when they're buying a property, they're not as concerned with how much net income this property is producing today. I guess when we could talk, I'd like to talk a bit about that with you, Jacob, as we go on yeah. with discussion, because it's, you know, properties are so expensive today, you're not going to make much first or second year from operations. But when you are a professional in commercial real estate, this is a business where the first, what you're going to be looking for are properties that have value adds. And ideally, you're going to find a property that is under market rents. It's not to say that you cannot do that with residential real estate, but right now, residential real estate is so expensive in almost everywhere. We do loans in all 50 states. And, you know, We take a look at property values, but it's going up everywhere to a point that you really cannot buy a rental home anymore for what you could rent it out for to make a pencil. But with commercial real estate, the value is not based more on the income of the property than it is just on the sales comparison approach, which commercial appraisals have as well. But the income approach in a commercial appraisal is really king. And so when you really get the mindset to invest in commercial real estate, you're going to be taking a look at value adds that the seller is just missing. You know, And what you want to do is you really don't want to over-improve the property when properties are so expensive like they are today. What you want to do is just find some property that needs some cosmetic work, and something inexpensive and has under-market rents. Just that alone could actually increase your property value by 20% in five years. Yeah, absolutely. That's the value add model. That's kind of the holy grail for multifamily real estate investors, right? Is to find an opportunity where they can come in and provide some immediate value. Maybe that's increasing the property condition. Maybe it's through management operations or decreasing expenses. And in turn, that drives the NOI up and in turn increases the property value exponentially. So that's kind of the typical business model of a multifamily investor. Exactly. Where a residential investor is really concerned about their cash on cash return this the first year. Well, a multifamily investor is really thinking more long-term. Unless your goal is to actually it's buy a property, rehab it, and you know, fix and flip it, that's different. But that's really hard to do today because most of the fixer-uppers are already have been taken a, long, a while ago. It's hard to find a, a really good multifamily fixer-upper. Now, you talked about different property types and where this works. 
where are you seeing the best returns and where are investors being driven to today in terms of, let's call it the multifamily space? Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting because I live in Portland. I'm actually always looking, I'm looking for property right now for myself and my and several clients, but it's just too expensive here right now. And like right now, for instance, Greenville, South Carolina is kind of a sweet spot because property, well, you have to understand that the average home there is probably still maybe 120,000. Not too long ago, it was 100,000. And so what we have is incomes that are fairly decent. They could afford rents as they're increasing. And we have property values that you could buy at a decent price for multifamily there. And so, and then, which, you know, it's just really, it's like the, the one thing you've got to be careful of though, I mean, there, there's places that are, really, are better to invest in, like Colorado has, has some really good markets. Now we're not talking about Aspen or Boulder. We're talking about like Colorado Springs, which had, yeah. which is a really big working class community. And there's such a need for more housing. And then we have Boise, Idaho, which is just a really strong, I mean, just they have a lot of jobs there, you know, and so, and, and well-paying jobs. So we have a multifamily market there that's really not quite as expensive as other, you know, Western major cities. But so there's better places to invest in. But the thing that you've got to think about if you're just starting out is that it's really, we originate for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, we have insurance money, all the, it's like the greatest risk to a lender is actually when somebody buys out of state, unless they have experience doing that out of their own backyard. Why? Because it's just like, if you were just going to, let's just say you decided you're going to, you're really a good auto mechanic and you're going to have, you know, a chain of auto stores in auto repair shops. And you have, you're doing really well with the one you have right now in your own hometown. You decide, well, I'm going to open one in another state. Well, how are you going to really oversee that? How are you going to manage your employees? How are you going to make sure the property looks clean and tidy, you know, and the customers are happy? So it's the same thing. It's like we just be aware that the very best place actually to start out investing is in your own backyard. And it's going to take a lot of time to find a deal right now. I've been doing this for 25 years and I've seen the market just changes, always changes. It always gets to a like right now, because materials are so expensive, they're just not building enough new single family homes and are not building enough apartment buildings. So, but eventually that will change and prices will become more realistic for somebody investing. Sure. Let's talk about kind of today's environment and trying to purchase multifamily properties across the country. Markets are hot. Prices are up, cap rates are being driven lower and lower, and people are continuing to pay higher and higher prices for the same property that they were just one, two, three short years ago. Is that generally what you're seeing in the lending space? Absolutely. This is probably the most severe price increase in commercial real estate and also, of course, in single family homes as well that we've seen. Prices have gone up on multifamily and residential real estate you know, by about 17% in just in a period of about a year. And it's just outrageous because what's happening, if you buy a property today, the seller is actually going to be obtaining your first two years of most of your first two years of income from operations because price is so high that you are only going to be making about maybe a 2% cash on cash return your first year. I'm talking about buying a property that's going to be sub six cap and or even sub five cap. Of more expensive areas. 
And so what's happening is that these sellers, they're actually making out like bandits because they didn't do all the work to improve the properties so they could raise rents. They're selling properties based on pro forma, based upon the future possibility of raising rents. And so now we have somebody has to invest this money they have and they buy a property that's being priced on an older property at the same price that newer properties are priced at. And the newer properties don't need hardly any work, but this older property does need quite a bit of work. So it's just like, it's just more challenging to find properties right now. And yet you still see people buying properties and transaction volumes are still maybe nearly all time highs, right? Dallas-Fort Worth just had this insane sales volume over the past year, for example. So people are still buying. What we're happening is one of my specialties is syndication, which we don't have time to really go into right now. But you're going to find that a lot of these properties, these overpriced properties, the larger ones are actually, a lot of them are bought by institutions that are REITs, real estate investment trusts. They have a lot of money and they have to keep it moving because they're paying investors every month and also syndicators that raise investors. So what you have to have is a really, if you want to get started in today's market, you've got to have a really solid business plan and have find a property that has value adds that you know you could pull off and look for the long buck, not the short buck. You're going to be making your money in three, four, five years from now, and you'll still do quite well. Let's talk about some of those value add plays, Terry. What are you seeing that are the most common value add add plays in these properties? And do you see anybody kind of maybe overstating their ability to increase a property through this value add, even though maybe the value's not there? Yeah, it's like, okay, in my book, I really go, I have a separate chapter on repositioning properties, which is all about value adding. And this is where I've seen my clients make most of their wealth actually is there's some that just have a phenomenal talent for value adding. And probably what you want to look for to get actually if you I'm going to give you the recipe, your listeners the recipe for getting the biggest bank for the buck with value adding. What you okay. need to do is find a property that's in a good neighborhood because you don't want to worry about rent collections and you want your properties to test to take care of it of the property. That means buying a more expensive property, which is going to have lower income, but you also are going to be in a more affluent area. And so finding a property that has under market rents, and let's just say, just really, we'd be surprised how many properties have just have dated interiors. And we're talking about just like changing the floor coverings and the painting and the window coverings and so on, striping the parking lot. These are value adds that you could do rather inexpensively, but you really don't really want to do today is pay today's prices and then spend a lot of money rehabbing, upgrading the property. Like you're not going to be putting in jacuzzi tubs, granite countertops. Uh, you could put in stainless steel appliances though. That's not that expensive. You could do some things to really make the property look better. And then second of all, you want to find this property. You want to find a property that's in an area that has good incomes. And even if the rents are at market today, those rents will be going up over the next two years. What you want to think about is raising rents over the next two years. So What you have to be careful of is, as I mentioned, is just buying a property that needs a lot of work and paying too much for it to start with. Can you elaborate a little further on what the risk is on buying on a pro forma as opposed on buying on actuals? But yeah, absolutely. That's such a big one. And if you think about it, if you were to buy a business, let's say it's a manufacturing business and the sellers, you know, they're selling this manufacturing business based upon what it's going to be, its potential income. Okay, so let's just say today it's earning 150000 a year, but they're going to sell it to you based on it earning 250000 a year. Now, who would do that? That's ridiculous. But in real estate, both residential and commercial investment properties, properties are being sold. This is driven more by, by just lack of properties for sale. And real estate brokers, 
these properties are being sold with based on potential numbers. And I really go into that in my book again. And I really warn, I say, well, what are these brokers and these sellers trying to pull? Don't participate in those shenanigans. But now the properties are so expensive right at the moment. Got, like I said, the risk is always substantial if you're going to be buying a property based upon raising the income in the future. It's, I mean, the very best recipe during better times when it's a buyer's market is to buy a property. You know, and you would know this, Jacob, you make your money on the buy, which means you want to find a property. You want to find properties that are being sold. You could snag that property for under its fair market value. It's really almost impossible to do that today. So what we're looking at doing today is finding properties, like I mentioned, that are in really great neighborhoods with more affluent tenants that will be able to pay these increases as because what's happening is that there aren't, there's not going to be a lot of new properties coming online right now for a while. So this gives you an opportunity. This is the greatest value. You've got to think about raising your rents over the next two years. And there's substantial risk if you're going to buy property based on performa. Do you find that the mistake people are making is just assuming they can go in and raise the rents because their market analysis tells them rents are under $200 from the market? Or do you find that the risk is maybe over-renovating to try to get those rents up to $200 by quote-unquote gold-plating everything, right? Do you see people making one mistake more than the other? Yeah, and actually twofold, both of what you've mentioned. One of the phenomena we have right now is that is that we have people just wanting to snag properties because they because they really want to get into the game. And what happens is it takes a while to raise rents. I mean, most people in quality buildings multifamily buildings, you have people are on annual leases for the most part. And some markets, we even have rent control. So you can't just assume, you know, we find the number one mistake I see it with my clients is that they overestimate how quickly they can raise rents. And so what they're doing is they're basically working for nothing because that money, as I mentioned earlier, that profit is a lot of that profit has gone to the seller. So now, yeah, you're going to be able to do well too, but you're going to, you're going to have to do it over time. Well, you know, Terry, people are always looking at their next investment opportunity and they're possibly in today's day and age where we're hopefully we can call this post-COVID environment thinking is now the right time to get into the market? Should I wait? We're, we're possibly at the top of the market. Things are very hot. Should I sit on the sidelines and wait until the next correction? What's your answer to that? That's a really, really important answer today. My thought is I've been through three recessions, okay, and I've seen recoveries. And right now, the coronavirus recession was an anomaly. It was caused by a pandemic, or usually it's caused by economic factors. And so what happened is that, so we have a shortage of properties today really left over from the, just the backlash of the coronavirus recession. And so now we're in a much better place. The economy is really coming back, but it's been slow moving having Actually, you know, sellers are still thinking, well, if I wait longer, I'm not going to put my property on the market today because if I wait a little longer, prices will probably go up even more. But there are boundaries to where how high, you know, it's like it gets to a point where, you know, you can't, you can't sell, you got to, the prices are not going to go up much more. And so my thought is today, it really makes sense to wait a bit for more properties to come on the market. And we just have to wait a little bit longer, I think. I'm not sure. I mean, of course, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's just that it doesn't really, it's, if you could find a property, if you don't really need the income from this property, you could find a property that's in a good neighbor, as I mentioned, maybe the rents are at market or a little bit below, and you can't, you don't have to spend much money on that property, and you could just wait until you could raise rents. You could appreciate, you know, as long as you could raise rents, property value will always go up. So, but it's going to be somewhat risky to, 
just to, there's so few properties on the market today. You know, my advice is to wait. Sure, sure. Well, Terry, as a mortgage banker, I'd be remiss to not ask you about what your outlook is with interest rates and lending environment in the next, say, 12 months. Where do you see things going and where do you see them kind of at now? Okay. Well, you know, interest rates are still really incredibly low. And what happens is, is that quite often consumers confuse a short-term, short-term interest rates with long-term interest rates. So okay, we hear that the feds have lowered the rates down to zero. What that actually means, that's actually, it's zero for banks borrowing money from the feds or from each other, mainly from the feds. It goes down to, to zero, but it doesn't mean, but, it, but also short-term rates, we're really talking about short-term adjustable mortgages that adjust either monthly or annually. So as far as, but what's happening now that we have inflation happening and we have inflation in almost all the commodities, you know, materials, food even, gasoline, usually with that, what happens from that, when that happens, historically, the feds have actually raised rates. And so it's kind of a chain effect. The short-term rates do trickle down to the long-term rates. So really, interest rates should start coming up. The government has artificially, during the Great Recession hit, the government actually bought a bunch of mortgage-backed security bonds. And that's what they've done with the coronavirus recession as well, which has kept liquidity in the market and has kept, for residential and commercial, has kept you know, mortgage rates really low. But if they were to stop doing that, then that's another factor that could raise interest rates. So this is a good time to buy because that's one of the things that makes it, I mean, if you take a look at buy a property with you know, lower rates today, you know, that's one of the reasons why prices can be as high as they are. You'll see prices coming down as interest rates go up. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Well, Terry, as the author of the Encyclopedia on Commercial Real Estate, you're obviously a proponent of investing in commercial real estate. If you're speaking to somebody who's still investing in the residential space, say the one to four unit residential uh, space, what advice would you have to that person for kind of turning that corner, making that transition to the world of commercial real estate investing? Well, the good news, if you own a bunch of single family homes right now, they've actually inflated at a much higher rate. So what you're going to be doing is actually doing a 1031 exchange on, say, four of these. And I have clients that are doing that, actually, and then buying your first 12-plex or 16-plex. You know, because you could actually buy more, you could take that equity. And what you can't do is really raise rents much. Okay. Even though this is a great opportunity, Jacob, because you could actually take this huge windfall on appreciation from these residential units, sell them to people who are now going to be living in those homes, mm-hmm. not renting them out. That's who could afford to pay those prices. You're going to invest in commercial real estate and get in that game. There's never been a better time to actually do that through a tax 1031 tax deferred exchange, because you're not going to have to pay tax someday. It's a deferred exchange. So that's my advice is to actually go ahead and sell sell those properties at top prices. And then you're going to have a certain amount of time to actually identify properties. I love it. I love the strategy, Terry. I think it's a great idea. If you've got a couple small multifamilies or some small houses, trading those up to a commercial property. Yeah. Great thing to do. Great timing for it. Now, that doesn't come without risk in its own whole bucket of possible missteps and mistakes, right? You've seen a lot of those. What are some mistakes, some missteps you've seen people take in the commercial real estate investing world that you could kind of spell out for people to avoid? Yeah, well, well the number one is, it's just like, it's, it's a relationship. So 
if anybody's done online dating or just dating in general, you know, it's like you've got to get to know the person. And if we're, we're all so excited, you know, and it's kind of something it's like people do have love at first sight with properties. And they think what they're thinking about is, God, this is such a they actually they think this is this would look really good when I show my friends that I bought this property. It's so impressive. That's like the completely backwards. If you don't <laughs> want to do that. And so falling in love with a property, you've got to really get to know it and you've got to be willing to a lot of people are doing today is they're really not doing their due diligence properly. And because property is so competitive, there's a lot of pressure from selling, from the, those who are selling properties and the brokers to just close the deal fast and not do all your due diligence. But you really need to get to know the property. Just like you want, you got to think you're, you might be married to, you're going to be married to this property for a long time. And so you'll find that people who get to know each other in a relationship have a much better success rate in that relationship. It's the same thing with getting into investment real estate or especially commercial real estate. You really want to take, don't fall, stay away from falling in love at first sight and do your due diligence, get to know that property. I love it. Yeah, definitely great advice there. Having written the encyclopedia on commercial real estate advice, Terry, there's only so much we can distill in a one-hour podcast, but we've done a great little job at kind of introing a few things you've written in the book. I want to get to that in just a second. Before we do, let's wrap up with the lightning round, just a series of questions we fire at you. Are you up for it? Sure. Go ahead. Awesome. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Okay. Well, as far as that, as far as investing in real estate, it's actually, for me, it's been, it's actually been just drudgery to actually really try in the early days, just to try to figure out whether this is just buying properties who are not who I thought they were, you know, I would say. And just, it's like, really, if you could find a mentor to help pull you through that, it's really advisable. Yeah. So yeah, I love it. Do you have a personal habit, Terry, that contributes to your success? I have a personal habit that is actually, and that's that I'm not multitask. And so what I'm really good is that I put all of Terry Painter behind something. That's how I was able to write that book. And is that I'm unstoppable. And so what I have a tendency to do is I don't really answer my phone all the time. I don't look at my emails and Facebook and everything else. I don't have, I completely eliminate distractions so I could do something really well. So that's why I evaluate one property and then I go to the next one. I complete what I'm doing and then I go on to the next task. I don't try to do a little bit here and then get distracted and do something there. You know, so, but it's also because I'm just wired that way and I'm not really good at, you know, it's at multi being multitask. Sure, sure. That's good. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? Yeah, actually, as far as, it's really important to educate yourself on with LoopNet if you're going to get into commercial properties. And LoopNet is in all 50 states, in small towns, large towns. And you really need what you want to do. And that's the, one of the greatest resources to just educate yourself on what properties are being sold for and at what cap rates and, and sure. so on. And yeah. Yeah, so. no, I definitely agree. And you can also find good brokers there, active brokers. You know, you can kind of see who's trading what in the marketplace. It's a good place to kind of start and help analyze a new market, I find, especially. And also listen to podcasts like yours, Jacob. Of course. That's of course. like there's so much on YouTube videos. Yeah. There's so much education available for free right now on how to get into commercial real estate or investment real estate. It's a sure. great time to be doing this. Terry, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Of course, your book, but maybe one other. Okay. Well, Actually, I still have to go back to the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. I know a lot of people who actually operate under the seven habits of highly ineffective people. One of the things that I do every day, I have, I break, and I take this from Stephen Covey's book, 
is I actually, I know what my highest payoff activity is every day. And I've got to get that done first. And then as I mentioned, I eliminate distraction. But for sure, that book was is a real winner because it has you focus on activities that are going to be the highest payoff ones. Yeah. That's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Fantastic book. One of the all-time classics. We'll link oh, that we've been around for over 30 years. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Terry, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Terry? Well, I would tell 20-year-old Terry to actually, um, oh, it's so hard not to think about going to Europe, not to think about you know clothes I'm going to buy and the car I want. You know, really think about, I mean, it's so, there's so much opportunity. They actually had people at a very young age, let's say, 26 actually become multi multi millionaires because they started buying you know inexpensive property you know, properties back you know in their 20s and that's pretty rare and so that's the, you know just getting into the game sooner is, is a, it would be phenomenal totally agree well Terry tell us about what you're doing in your business today and what your kind of investing outlook looks like you know thanks for asking okay so I have a team of originators and we also have people who do marketing for our company. And what we basically do is we do commercial loans, a million dollars and above. And where we're basically our goal right now is actually to streamline our process. I mean, we were really focusing more on multifamily primarily because it's really tough these days to actually close a loan on, let's say, a retail center that's lose that where they've lost tenants. We're certainly like on on a hospitality, a hotel. Office buildings are really there's some that have done okay, but for the most part, the larger ones are really in trouble and they're not cash flowing. So we just have fewer moving parts. So the strategy in our business is actually to just, we have, this, is, this sounds kind of rough, but we have to actually, we get so many inquiries because there's such a need for money right now. Banks are very conservative. We're, we could make loans even without tax returns. And so it's just, just that screening people properly and getting screening deals properly is a main focus right now. And so and also, like I mentioned, I'm looking at props. I've been a sophisticated investor. I've, I've invested in other people's properties. And I also, I'm looking for properties right now for myself. And it's really completely different. I'm much more meticulous when I'm evaluating other people's financials and they want to investing in properties. With myself, I have a tendency also just to, just to kind of like go by, you know, just my gut instinct more than just really taking a look only at the hard facts. And so I'm actually a better investor probably for other people because I have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that they don't make the mistakes. Well, Terry, as we're wrapping up here, very last question. What advice would you like to leave with the audience members as we're ending? Well, the advice is don't think about it as this is going to be hard. If it's in your blood to actually invest in real estate, don't look at what's not working. You know, In fact, I have to say my most successful newbies have been people who didn't know that they couldn't do it. They're the type of person who, you know, in the first chapter of my book, I tell the story about Kelly Fabros, who was a, a LAPD officer, and she decides she, to buy a $6.8 million apartment building as her first investment property, really, her, you know, her second one, actually. And, but she didn't know she couldn't do it, and she pulled it off only because she raised investors. But so actually focusing on your excitement, focusing on picture what it's going to feel like emotionally when you actually do have this large source of almost passive income. You know, and don't focus on just that this is going to be hard. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. Enjoy the journey. Definitely. 
Well, Terry, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you and learning a little bit of the advice you've distilled in your Encyclopedia of Commercial Real Estate Advice book. If people want to find that book or reach out to you and connect with you, where's the best place for them to do so? Okay, okay. Amazon is the best place they have the book on a super sale right now. And then, uh, and also my website is apartmentloanstore.com. So, apartment Lone Star, Lone Store. Lone Store, apartmentloanstore.com. Propensity to say Lone Star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you do. Of course. Well, Terry, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Until next time, thanks so much. It's been fun. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Terry Painter. Hey, what an awesome conversation. I hope you got so much value from that episode. If you want to learn more about anything we mentioned in today's conversation, you can find those as always in the show notes or going to www.jacobairs.com. And hey, if you want to know about what I'm doing in the commercial real estate space these days, feel free to reach out. I'm buying investment properties and primarily cash flowing markets in the South mostly Oklahoma and Texas. So if you want to learn more about that, come over and give me a shout. You can find me on social media or at the website, www.jacobairs.com. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.